Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hey Ladies. This week, we are chatting with Ebony Stewart, uh, the three-time slam poetry champion here in Austin. She's also a sex education teacher for the public school system here, so her stories are quite riveting. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and I hope you enjoy. I loved seeing your performance at Bedpost. Oh, that thanks. was fantastic and really moving. Um, I'd love to know how you got started performing and, and kind of what sparked your interest. Um, oh, yeah in poetry and and, uh, vocal performance? Those are all good questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, I'm 31, so I guess I can give you like the the short version of things. I basically have pretty much always been some type of performer or storyteller. I come from a line of storytellers. My family likes to tell stories and make people laugh. Um, And I started writing poetry around the age of eight. And it was really whack shit. It was not good. But the thing that I liked about it was that um, it was a way for me to express myself. Mm-hmm. And when I was eight, my parents were going through a really difficult divorce. Um, my dad was really abusive. And I went a whole year without talking. Um, I would talk to my siblings, but mm-hmm. not really in school. And so my mom took me to a psychiatrist and she handed me this composition journal. It was like, write whatever you want in here. And journaling turned into poetry for Mm me um in a way for me to basically escape or like just give all the emotion that I had into this one sitting um to kind of save myself Mm -hmm. so that's pretty much how it came about and then I got into slam poetry around the year of 2006 I did collegiate slam at Texas State and then um, went on to do adult slam on a national level with Austin Neil Soul. And that basically just took a turn for like some great stuff to happen. I became uh, the three-time slam champ for Austin three times, um, the only female to do that. And so that was really cool. And That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. Yes. Um, (laughs) And... um, from there, I've had different opportunities to coach. So this past summer, I got an opportunity to coach the, you know, 2014 They Speak Youth Slam, and they finished top eight in the world. So, I've, you know, alongside with Ariana Brown as my co-coach, it was really a great experience. I've had some opportunities to do stuff like that. And then any opportunity to speak on what I do as yeah. a sexual health educator uh, just kind of evolved into that. So it must be interesting since you came from, you know, as far as a personal background of having difficulty communicating, Mm. you know, your feelings in a, in a verbal way until Mm -hmm. you found poetry and your voice through poetry. Do you see a lot of parallels when you're working with kids now, especially around sexual health? I feel like there's Mm. such repression, especially in Texas about expressing your feelings and emotions and, and kind of the parallels you draw there. Yeah, exactly that. I think that, um, Oftentimes, I see a resistance from the youth that I work with because of their parents. Mm -hmm. And that's a domino effect, right? So their parents might not have had sexual health education. And so it just trickled down and then they don't know how to talk to their kids. And then their kids come to me and they're like, don't talk about that, please, Miss Ebony. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the cool thing is that there's a lot of parents that don't know how to talk to their kids in a are really happy that someone is. Yeah. Like, yes, talk to them. Push you do yeah, all you do. This, so I don't have to do it. <laughs> right. Please answer all of their questions so that they have none for me. Um, but sexual health doesn't work that way, right? Like yeah. it, it has to be an ongoing conversation. And sometimes you have to revisit things more than once, twice or three times. Uh, but 
most of the time, usually at the beginning of the year, where I'm at the beginning of the year and I have a lot of kids that even if I say the word sex, they are very squeamish. And mm-hmm. they're like, ah, please don't say sex. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're hiding their faces and, and just can't believe that I said that. It's almost like a curse word, right? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the semester, they're very comfortable and able to articulate what body parts are. And um, Do you ever like get, because um, I know you, you said there's um, a lack of education maybe from parents and that trickles yeah. down. Do you find that parents have any backlash towards the education that you're giving mm. them? And, and especially, um, I think it's interesting how people choose to talk about the body, you know, like sure. breasts versus vagina versus penis and what <laughs> yeah. words that you're comfortable right. talking about, um, especially yeah. with your parents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents that I work with, they're just pretty much, I call them my parents, right? But the, <laughs> these kids' parents, they're pretty much divided, okay? And I, I think that has a lot to do with Texas. I think that has mm-hmm. to do a lot with being conservative and just um, having – a innocent ignorance about mm-hmm. the topic itself. Um, there are a lot of parents that feel that it's a great thing and that they want to, um, they wish they would have had the education that I'm giving to their kid. And mm-hmm. so there's oftentimes in the curriculum where we send our kids home with uh, parent take-home activities and they get to work with their parent and learn about these things. Mm-hmm. And then there's some parents that are just against it. And I haven't really quite figured out why, besides the fact that I started with sixth grade and they just came out of elementary yeah. and their parents are still holding on to the fact that they're in ele- they were just in elementary mm-hmm. last summer. You know, they're but, still babies. Why do they need to learn about right, this? Right, right. Um, and so they're just confused as to why anyone would be talking to their kids about sex. But I always try to make parents aware that I don't start out talking about sex. This is how you do it. Like I don't start out. That's not, that's crazy talk. You know, I do start out talking about um, boundaries and Mm -hmm. limits and being able to say no. And then after we go over the anatomy of the body so that they can know what they're comfortable with when they're telling someone, Hey, this is my limit. This is how far I want to go. But then only then I talk about the consequences of sex. And then after, when they're in the seventh grade, that's when I see a shift in parents and they're like, oh, my kid really needs this, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's too late. I, I follow my kids from sixth grade into seventh grade. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the parents have a, a choice. They can opt out and mm-hmm. they can say, no, I don't want my kid to learn about this or my kid will not. That's, that's something that's always on the form. Yeah. My kid will not learn about this. And I think that's interesting. Like, well, what are they going to learn? About yeah. It, you know? What's so wrong with learning? Right, right. <laughs> well, is there a problem with it? You know, so. Especially in the safe environment of a school, you know. Right, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so I know you sometimes bring up the interesting questions you get being a sex educator <laughs> yeah, in your performances. And, um, you know, do you kind of draw inspiration of being in that vulnerable child state when you are kind of working on newer pieces? If I if I'm working on a piece that is specifically about my kids um, or the kids that I have worked with in the past, because before I did sexual health, I did I, I taught English, mm-hmm. ninth grade English, and so I think I try to definitely make my work relatable to anyone, um, but also just reliving my own uh, thoughts and concerns about that particular topic, whatever the topic might mm-hmm. be. So I do try to be sensitive to whatever is happening um, 
with the body of uh, in the mind and the mm-hmm. questions that I'm given, they're just really good material. The kids don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know that this material is good. <laughs> they're being innocent and just asking a question, right? But oftentimes what happens is, is that I look at it from um, what I what I want to say versus what I have to say or mm-hmm. what I'm allowed to say. Yeah. Um, and I try to basically play and merge on those two things. My mom's uh, a teacher as well. Yeah, so I definitely yeah. grew up in that space of, you know, her battle of I need to educate these children in so much right. more than the subject matter that right. I'm given. Yeah. You know, it's like life skills and critical yeah. thinking skills yeah. and what your personal boundaries are. So I totally understand. I guess um, what were some of your best versus worst experiences teaching that you've had so far? Oh, you mean like in teaching sexual health or just teaching across the board? I think teaching across the board because there's so many different situations That's true. that come up. That's true. I'll start with the good, right? Yeah. So, or maybe we should start with the bad because <laughs> there's a, there's not a lot of bad, but then when it's bad, it's like, oh no. Yeah. Um, I well, I will say this: I've only had um, one kid try to fight me, and that's when I taught ninth grade English, and I look like a ninth grader, so I get it. <laughs> you know, I get that I look like you can take me, right? Yeah. But um, <laughs> but that is probably the worst. That's probably the worst that it's the experience that I've ever had. Um, and just because I understand that people of color come from, sometimes their emotions come from a pit of rage mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do with that emotion. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a, a matter of feeling devalued all the time, mm-hmm. or it could be a matter of, I never have heard a woman tell me what to do as a young man. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't know how to, I don't know how to react to you mm-hmm. demanding something of me. Right. Um, so that that has been one of the worst but most learning experiences. Yeah, and when I say worst, I don't mean it in like yeah. it's a terrible thing. It's just you know kind of things that have it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah, it's a challenge. Um, and I and I do think that that was that was one of the challenges that I've had is that there is sometimes um, a pit of rage that some kids don't know what to do with, you mm-hmm. know, and and knowing that I've been there, so I get it, right? But yeah. how do I? How do I talk to you as an adult and make you understand, right? Um, I would say another time that I've had like the most challenging situation ever is uh, when I was subbing and I substituted for a kindergarten class. Yo, they're my kryptonite. I <laughs> kindergartners, <laughs> they they want to put their hands on you and they mm-hmm. touch themselves in all different weird gross places, yeah. <laughs> and then want to touch you. And I'm ugh, a germaphobe, so it's a little much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to be touched all the time and they never want their space and they have so much energy and you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. So God bless kindergarten teachers. I don't get it. Yeah, it's so much energy to deal with. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what to do with it. You know, I just bottle that stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the best experiences I would say have come from, um, you know, students that tell me, hey, I really appreciate you talking about what my parents are too too afraid to talk to me about. Mm-hmm. Right. That That kind of stuff. Or... Um, when I get a student that I see has a certain talent, like they might be the next George Lopez or Mike Epps or Kevin Mm -hmm. Hart. Right. And I give them that space. Right. Well, when we come in class, like, why don't you give us a joke for the day? That's your responsibility. And just watching them and wondering what they're going to be when they grow up is the best thing to me. Because seeing all of that potential. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are so funny. It's like, man. I wish I was as funny as you, but, um, and clever, right? Just, it takes a certain type of wit 
to make people laugh and mm-hmm. be witty. But um, I think that those are some of the best experiences. And then there's the experience where I use the student's name as Tim, but that's not his name. But mm-hmm. you know, for confidentiality reasons. Yeah. But um, when when he did want to ask me about like, is does this make me gay? Does pink mm-hmm. make me gay? Or does you know just the will sitting on a toilet seat make me gay or give me AIDS or, you know, those kinds of questions are so necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love it. I love that I get those kinds of questions because to me, where some people might be appalled that they think that, to me, it says that they're at least thinking about these things, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's definitely important. Um, Kind of flipping into your performances on a similar note, what's been some of the um, performances that have really helped you grow Mm. as a performer um, and then what are some that have been really, really challenging for you? Mm. Um, a lot of people don't know this about me. I think because they see me on stage, they just automatically think that I'm this like extroverted person. I want to yeah. talk to everybody. And I'm really an introvert. I I'm, I get really shy and nervous if I don't know what to say. I'm mm-hmm. going through like my Rolodex of things yeah. that I could say, uh, even right now. Right? <laughs> uh, I just get, I get, I get nervous if I don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah. And so I think that that is the hardest part about performing is that oftentimes people take you as a performer all the time Mm -hmm. and they want you to perform do that one poem about like wait that's not how it works (laughs) (laughs) prepare um and I would say like the 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 greatest things about being a performer or being able to share my work is that people care and they want to hear you and they want to listen to you and um I would say that bedpost confessions every single time has been the most outstanding, unbelievable performances that I've ever had the power to, you know, to share with people. Um, and mostly because Bedpost Confessions challenges me to be vulnerable in a way that I wouldn't necessarily be vulnerable, whether it is that I'm talking about my students or whether I'm talking about just sex in mm-hmm. me being a sexual person, mm-hmm. um, or just my experiences with abortion and, you know, just all these things that, really does allow you to talk about so many different areas and kind of uh, that welcoming and yeah, open space. Yeah. And it's great. It's really, it's, they have really great audiences. And so I love those experiences when I have an audience that you can feel the energy of them being just so welcoming and open mm-hmm. and like, yeah, we want you here. We want, we cherish you. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, I guess those are like always the best experiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, has there ever been a time when you've written something that you want to perform and you just kind of get up and you feel just too emotional about the subject mm. matter and, and, you know, it's been really difficult to tell that story? Yeah. Um, I oftentimes will perform in my living room and <laughs> act like there's like a bunch of people there. But what it does for me is it allows me to just break and know when I'm going to break because I know, you know, I know when I read this line, this is going to be the one that's going to take me literally to that moment. And I'm, I might not be able to, to go forward, but, um, there's a thing about being brave. Right. And, and I think being able to share your story period and even write it down and express it is, is, is brave, but then also getting on stage and knowing that you're going to break and knowing that that's going to happen is brave. Right. So there's a piece that I used to do. I don't, I don't perform it or share it anymore um, just because I felt like every single time I did it, I, I was just breaking all over the place, yeah. right? And um, it's a it's a poem about one of my students that had been molested. 
And for me, it's just like you feel so helpless even in writing it. Like mm-hmm. that's not really going to do anything, right? Because there's not, no action within the writing that you can do. No to fix action. That. Yeah. And, 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 and me writing this is not going to fix what happened already, mm-hmm. right? So that used to be a poem that I would do. And um, it was just really difficult to know that this is about to happen. I'm about to share this piece and I'm going to break and I'm not going to be able to save her. And I, you feel responsible. Mm-hmm. And even though you know you're not, right, you just feel like you wish you would have been able to do something. So definitely. It's always walking that line of trying to, you know, create awareness about you mm-hmm. know, the larger, broader issues that is sharing this this one particular moment right. going to make that happen. Or yeah. is there a larger conversation that needs to happen around exactly, it? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think a lot of times, um, you know, like actors, performers um, mm-hmm. get kind of put into this like oh well you're speaking for oh yeah these other people who can't speak or aren't able to speak and you know sometimes it's hard to come up with those stories and, and put it into the broader factor definitely um so you are creating an awareness but at the same time it's like is sharing this individual story really gonna yeah change much yeah. um you know it's the the not all women and not all men right. hashtags and kind of that movement was really interesting. You know, it's very impactful to see exactly. all of these kind of micro stories come out of that. But at the same time, you know, then there comes the not all men yeah. hashtag right afterwards. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, you know, it's always an ongoing battle. Right. Um, so tonight there's the Neo soul performances. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of goes on in that space or, um, yeah, so how Austin, that all came together. Oh, sure. Yeah, Austin Neo Soul has been around for um, I don't even know. I want to say maybe ten or more years, mm-hmm. and they moved venues a couple of times, but it's always been the same guy, Herman Mason, holding it down, nice. <laughs> um, creating Austin Neo Soul. And there's a lot of great people that come out of out of that space, right? There's Brian Francis, and there's Love Robinson, and Kimberly Thirteen. Um, there's so many great people and then we have these youth that are coming up mm-hmm. and and making their way you know and so tonight basically is just about um a ladies night mm-hmm. now there was a few people that fought me on on a ladies night but <laughs> I was like I think it's gonna be great and I know there's gonna be a lot of women that show up and mm-hmm. really honestly when it comes to poetry women basically support the show the most mm-hmm. and so going in I knew that I wanted to go ahead and have a space that is created just for a person that is living their life as a woman to share their voice and share their energy and tell their stories, right? Yeah. And just be loved by all these women in the room. So I think it's, I was just talking with a friend about how, like, even if you have the most confidence in the world about mm-hmm. something that you do and something that you're proud of, whether it's like a sport or playing an instrument or performing, yeah. and you think that you're comfortable doing it around men and you have no right. no boundaries about it. A friend of mine just went to do like a rock climbing clinic <laughs> that was all women. Right. And she's just like, you know, I totally thought, you know, I go rock climbing all the time with my male friends and I don't think anything about it. And she's like, but this time there was nothing like... You weren't trying to one-up anybody. Right. You were just in this space, and mm-hmm. you're so comfortable to to kind of share and work on your skills in a space where yeah. people are so supportive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like in this space that I've created for Ladies' Night at Austin Neal Soul is just basically um, an opportunity just as that. It's not a competition. Um, I know with SLAM, it SLAM is a competition, yeah. right? And, and this isn't for that. This is for you to share your story and for you to get up and – you know, maybe it's a poem that you just wrote today. Maybe it's a grocery list. 
right? <laughs> and how overwhelming is a grocery list? Right. I don't know. But then <laughs> you put it into a poem and then it, yeah. it sounds great, right? And it's just basically a time for us to just let our hair down, come and loose, and just really have a good time. There's food, you know, there's yeah. drinks. I feel I feel honored in having such a great opportunity to create community within women because it's so necessary for yeah. me, you know, it's so necessary. And to see that we are all in a state of survival when we're together, you mm-hmm. know, we can just kind of, Breathe. Yeah, you know, we don't have to have the we don't have to have our like bitch face on. You know? <laughs> don't always have to have the resting bitch right, face. On. Right. <laughs> um, and kind of wrapping up, do you have any advice for um, you know women who are trying to express themselves artistically, mm. whether that be through poetry and kind of where to start in that process? Yeah, I would say um, start in a place of honesty. Um, it doesn't always have to sound like someone else's work, right? It's really hard to find our own voices and to find our own way of uh, of telling our story in a different way, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be beautiful and poetic. It could be messy. It could be a woman, you mm-hmm. feel me? Like it could be <laughs> however you showed up in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And And just being aware of that and knowing that your work might transform. It might look different over the time. And that's okay, too. I would say that anybody that's a writer should definitely be reading. Yeah. <laughs> Read a ton of things, like anything you can get your hands on. Because, um, you know, reading basically cultivates the mind into being able to write something. Mm-hmm. And makes you think and figure out what kind of artist you want to be. You know, what kind of stories do you want to tell? Um, how far in it do you want to go? Do you, do you just want to skim the surface or do you want to dig deep and make people drown with you right Mm -hmm. and I think that's a beautiful both of those are beautiful things and safe ways to create so yeah being honest I think first and foremost in your work great thank you so much I really appreciate it thanks for coming thank you you're great